Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Gurudai Pushpabanto Chitra We'll discuss from Srimad Bhagavatam, from the Brajalila, chapter 34. Shisukuvacha Ekada Deva Yatrayam Gopala Jatakotuka Anubir Anadudyuktai Rayus Tayumbika Vanam Sukadeva Goswami is speaking. This verse, this comes in just after the description of the Ezra's Pancha Jai, the Adyai Pancha. Adyai means chapter. So every time I've come here, we've been following the, uh, the Brajlila relative to the to the time that I come. As you may recall, the first time I came, it was just after the Janmashtami and Radhastami and. We talked about those topics to some extent, and Yoga Maya, who appeared after Krishna. And uh, we discussed from Bhagavad Gita something about Yoga Maya, and then went from there to Bhagavatam. And at that time, we also discussed the Putana Lila, Krishna's killing of Putana. In this way, we were following the Bhagavatam. Next time I came, which was the last time, right? It was in uh, November, Agrahayana, the month that Krishna has identified himself with, month following Radha's month, Kartika. And the important leela in that uh, month is the Gopi Vastraharana leela, the leela in which Krishna stole the pose of the gopis. So we discussed that for several days at some length. And so today is Shivratri. So it means today, tonight. Ratri means night. So Shivratri means the night of Shiva. In India today, there's a big festival going on. You go on to midnight. Midnight's the time for Mahadev Shiv. And so, although we are devotees of Krishna and Vishnu, Vaishnavas, and there are many Vaishnavas who are very opposed to the worship of Krishna, we as Gaudiya Vaishnavas don't really take that kind of extreme posture. On occasion, years back, I, on my way to India, I passed through, I believe it was Malaysia, and I met a gentleman there in my layover, an Indian gentleman who had a small cultural religious center and a restaurant. So he invited me to the restaurant. It was very pakka, and all the food was offered to Shiv and Goddess Saraswati, and it was very, very nice and well done. And and, um, he had, um, like I say, a little cultural center, although it wasn't open on that day. He showed me around the rooms and whatnot, and they had different programs there. So I spoke with him at some length, and uh, understanding that he was a Shaivite in his orientation, I spoke very uh, nicely about Shiva, and he was very shocked to hear that. He said, after I was done, he thanked me very much, and he said, you know, Swamiji, some other devotees (laughs) of Krishna, they came here years ago, and we are all a Shaivite community, large Shaivite community here. They came, and we gave them all facility to open the center and to 
worship and to hold programs and so forth. But they constantly criticized Lord Shiva to the point that we could not take it. And some of the members became so outraged that they went to the government and with political influence got them removed from the country. And that At that date, when I was there, they, those that group of devotees was not allowed in the country. So we shouldn't be like that. Sriman Mahaprabhu was not like that. I told this morning how Ramanuja Sampradaya has a strong position, takes a strong position against the worship of Shiva. They don't recognize the higher side of Shiva, Shiva Lok, above Brahman and beneath Haridam, above Devi Dam, to the Brahman, and just below Haridam, Vaikuntha, that exalted plane of Shiva, the higher side, where Shiv Mahadev Sadashiv is a devotee of the Lord. He's actually Mahavishnu, appearing as a devotee of himself in Shiva Lok. He doesn't recognize that side of Shiv, only the Rudra side manifesting in this world. Very complex tattva, the Shiva tattva. So we have to cover a lot of ground here and still we won't understand it all. Actually, my name is a name for Shiva, Triparari Prabhupada gave me the name, Triparari Das. It's a name for Shiva. A fellow recently criticized me. <laughs> I heard that someone sent it to me in the email. His name is uh, Triparari. What kind of Vaishnav name is that? Hmm? He's supposed to be a Vaishnav, but he goes by the name Triparari. <laughs> Actually, Triparari is a name for Shiva in a particular Leela of Krishna when Shiva was empowered Shakti Bihi Swabihi with his own Shakti with Krishna's own Shakti Shiva was in, not capable of the task at hand he was dealing with an Asura maybe Maya Dhanava he had created a fantastic arrangement of uh, flying cities, three cities, Tripur, Pur means city, Tri means three, and Ari. Ari, that's his name. Ari means enemy, so she became the enemy on behalf of the gods of that that uh, Asura. But he was not capable of performing the task until Krishna came and empowered him with his Shakti to do the work. So. It's a name for it, Shiva, but at the time when he was empowered by Krishna for doing very extraordinary work in relation to the demonic influences that he sometimes thought to preside over and give shelter to. Prabhupada told me once in 1977, just when he had uh, become ill in Mayapur and decided not to go from Mayapur to Vrindavan for the second half of the festival as he would every year, that at that time uh, he was coming down in the morning to give the lecture, but he wasn't speaking. And he would have one of his uh, sannyasis speak. And so it was a bit traumatic for us. And when I heard that Prabhupada would not go from Mayapur to Vrindavan, I went up to his room to see him. And um, uh, he was sitting on the veranda, and uh, I said to him, Prabhupada, 
that uh, I understand that you're not going to the festival in Vrindavan. He said, yes, I'm not feeling well. I said, then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go either. I'm going to stay here. He said, why is that? I said, because wherever you are, that's Vrindavan, and you are the festival. Prabhupada had told me uh, the first time that I came to Mayapur in 1974, Prabhupada invited me to come there. And when I came, uh, actually I arrived ahead of him. We were staying in a little grass hut at that time. Myself and Gukripa Maharaj and Vishodhananda Maharaj. Quite interesting company <laughs> at that time. And Prabhupada came and then Prabhupada called for me. And he told me, I'm very happy that you're going all around and selling books like this. And he said, you please do this. Preach all year long and then every year come and spend one month with me in Mayapur and Vrindavan. So I reminded him of that. And, <laughs> and so I'm staying with you. He told me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was charmed like, by that. But, but then he said, no, you, you should go. You're a preacher. And so it's, there are many devotees there. And... and you should preach to them. I have given you the name Triparari, he said. And Triparari is very expert at defeating all the, all the demonic influences. So by your preaching, you should do that. And he told me, he said that, uh, just like Bhagavad Gita, Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita thousands of years ago, but if we read it, then we're there with Krishna. So he said, I never feel the absence of my Guru Maharaj, even for a moment. So if you take this message, Bhagavad Gita, and you preach it, then you'll feel me there. And and Krishna's presence, and so forth. So anyway, there's some Vaishnavism in, in the name, Tripurari. And as Shiva is a complex and hard to figure out tattva, I'm a little bit difficult to figure out too. They <laughs> <laughs> don't know, is he with this group? He's, but he's not with that group. <laughs> but he's with that group, but he's not with that group either. Shiva's a little bit like that too. <laughs> Where he fits in and all is this difficult <laughs> to ascertain. But Mahaprabhu, as opposed to Ramanuja, Ramanuja, the Sampradaya, they have a mantra that they recite that it's worse to, better, better, I should say, to enter the mouth of a tiger than a temple of Shiva. So they're very strong on this. So those Vaishnav sects in the south that are so opposed to the Shaivites and the Shaivites, the sects that are so opposed to the Vaishnavas, we are not involved in that kind of controversy. Mahaprabhu's movement was not a sectarian movement, something that Thakur Bhaktivinoda would call the enemy of progress. We should see beyond that what to speak of to a brotherhood, a brotherhood of Vaishnavas, but um, of humanity. This is what uh, Mahaprabhu's mission is about. We should worship Krishna with such fervor and enthusiasm that we come to realize the universality of the object of our worship. So that he's not only just localized in the temple for us, and only our temple for that matter. This is the uh, part, much part of the ideal of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his, with regard to religious conceptions, although he converted persons from different religious conceptions. It was a very much in an all-embracing way by pointing out to them how they were their, their religious conception was included within what he came to offer. For example, when he went south, Sri Chaitanya Dev, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, as a sannyasi, as a preacher, 
two years he went south India. It was difficult for him to get away from the devotees in Puri, um, but he was able to get their permission by pressing the right buttons. What did he say ultimately? I have to find my brother. Oh, yes, yeah, he must go. They all loved him as Nimai Pandit, those from Bengal who had come from that side. And as a sannyasi, they were putting up with that, but it was distancing them a little bit from him at the same time. So with the sannyasi, leave them, follow the sannyas, dharma, and go and preach. They had difficulty with that. But when he said, I had to find my brother, his elder brother had left home as a sannyasi and gone south. Oh, then they gave permission, yeah, then you have to go. <laughs> it's like in India, if you ever need to really go somewhere, it's, you know, it's difficult to move around in India. To communicate and move around is difficult compared to our Western standards. But if you need to go anywhere fast, you just say, Mother, Mother, you point to some paper, like, Mother's sick. <laughs> Everything open. Every door open, you'll get a royal escort. <laughs> So he played on their, their sentiments like this. They let him go. He went south, and in traveling south, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, this is his sannyas name, he went to every major Shiva temple, everyone. He even met Mahadev and Parvati, who were living in a village as Brahmins, accepted worship from them, worshipped them. His policy is a little different than Ramanuja's. And when the controversy came, People asked him, well, who is superior, Vishnu or Shiva? He didn't enter into a long philosophical discussion. He just said, well, Shiva takes the foot wash of Vishnu, which is the Ganga on his head, so you tell me. And they all said, oh, yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) We understand. (laughs) Shiva is Vaishnavanamita Shambhu. With this verse in mind, after all, Ramanuja is following Vishnu Purana. We are following the Bhagavad Purana. This is our main pramana. Amalam pramanam. Paramahamsa samhitam. Simad Bhagavatam amalam puranam. Amalam puranam. Amalam pramanam. Simad Bhagavatam. Vaishnavanam priyam. It is so dear to the Vaishnavas. Simad Bhagavatam. It is the hub, the central hub around which all of the Revealed literature circulates, moves. Everything in the revealed scripture will be understood in light of the teaching of Srimad Bhagavatam. This is the stand of our Acharyas. With great feeling, we should embrace Srimad Bhagavatam. This is what Mahaprabhu did. After all, it's considered to be the very heart of Krishna. What did we cite this morning? Sadyo. We talked a little bit about this, only to this extent, that if one's heart is pure, then this will happen, what this verse says. That just desiring to read Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishna will become arrested in your heart. It happened to Sukadev. He heard a verse, some verses of Bhagavat from the uh, woodcutter, Verses given by Vyas. Go in the forest, cutting wood. When you cut wood, sing these poems. See what happens. He was trying to retrieve his runaway son 
runaway boy. And when he sang those so many nice shlokas, describing Krishna entering the forest with his, with Balaram and the cowherds, playing on his flute, seeing through the eyes of the gopis, these kind of verses. Sukadev had a desire to hear that kind of thing. What is that about? And so he followed him home and found, oh, it comes here, it comes back here to home. And there, of course, he heard Bhagavatam in full from Vyasa. So his heart was captured, and Krishna was captured within his heart, the idea is. But it doesn't happen to everybody, because everybody's heart is not has some dust on it first. It has to be cleansed. But relative to our discussion tonight, this point I'm making, uh, the beauty of Bhagavatam, that it is the heart of Krishna, it means also that Sadyo, Sadyo means immediately. Sadyo immediately becomes captured in the heart of that person who desires to hear the narration of Srimad Bhagavatam because of what it's about. We are sometimes saying in Gaudi Saraswat Sampradaya, it is called Bhagavat Purana. But that is not the Gaudiya Vaishnav name. Gaudiya Vaishnav name is Srimad Bhagavatam. They have given another name to Bhagavad Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. And sometimes to emphasize the import of that, we say Radha Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam, Radha Bhagavatam. So this is the heart of Krishna, the nature of her love for Krishna. This is what Bhagavatam is about, that has his heart. So anyone who has interest in that, Krishna becomes captured by them. This is the whole Gaudiya philosophy, of course. That, very simply put, as Prabhupada would sometimes say, the whole world is worshipping God. All the theistic world is advocating the worship of God. And what we are advocating, the worship of she who God worships. This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. An easy way to capture his attention. So Srimad Bhagavatam, that is our book. So we will understand Shiva from Srimad Bhagavatam's perspective. And what does Srimad Bhagavatam say about itself? About itself in the twelfth canto, Srimad Bhagavatam says, This book is the best of Puranas, just like the Ganges is the holiest river, just like Shiva is the best Vaishnava, Vaishnavanamitashambhu. Like Kashi is the, is the most holy place. Of course, we know Vrindavan is the more holy of holy places, and Jamuna is more holy than Ganga, and so forth. But this section is also a bit of uh, propaganda work on the part of the Bhagavatam to include the Shaivites, bring them in. Kashi, most holy place. Shiva is the best Vaishnava. <laughs> we say all those things that you say. Hmm? And more. And come to us and hear it from the mouth of Madhya Shiva himself. What Gaudiya Vaishnavas say about Lord Shiva, oh, that will so much attract his attention, so much get his favor. There's no way that you can be a Shaivite and please him as much as by becoming a Vaishnava and speaking about him from that perspective. This gives him the highest position 
Because any position, really, in relation to Krishna as a servant, that is highest, it's all subjective reality. Objectively, if we draw back, we may say, well, Gopi's love is high, most high, but, but we may not be able to honor that. Subjectively, we may find our own experience to be something else. It's possible. And then we'll sing a different song. <laughs> Only if we have to stand back objectively and speak about it for preaching, then we'll say, oh, this is the fact, is. So any position of love of Krishna. And as I said, Shiva has a high position. Sadashiva, that means Mahavishnu incarnating as Shiva, in Shiva Lok. Not in um, this uh, Kuvera's place, in the material world. There in uh, Shiva, it's not all covered with ashes. And two sides, really three sides to Shiva. High side, Narayan as a devotee of himself. Therefore, he said to be one with Mahavishnu. One with him and a little different from him at the same time. He is Mahavishnu, appearing as his own devotee. And with regard to Chaitanya Lila, of course, we're in the middle of that discussion. He's also Shiva Varnichinutam Sharanyam. Bhagavatam says about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that oh, he came along with Shiva and Brahma. So who is Brahma in Gorlila? He does Thakur. And who is Shiva? Advaita. He's one with Hari. He's not different from Hari. He's one. It is said uh, that uh, the mother of Advaita she had a dream one night. And in the dream she saw Shiva crying out of compassion for the souls of Kali Yuga and praying for their deliverance. And at that time, Mahavishnu appeared and said to him, why are you praying to me? He was praying to Mahavishnu to please deliver these fallen souls of Kali Yuga. Their plight is so, so bad. And then Mahavishnu appeared and said, why are you praying to me? You and I are one. And the two merged together. And she woke up to find that she was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, only to, some time later to give birth to Advaita Charja. So here's the Sadashiva, the higher end of Shiva, as a devotee. Advaita is described by Krishna's Kaviraj in these two ways, principally. That he's Advaita, non-different from Hari, and that he preaches about devotion. So high side, and then lower side, as a tapasvi in this world, oh, just wearing the ashes, making fun and small of material acquisition. He's mocking that material acquisition. Pride of, of dress and vanity and the concern that we have for that. Garlanded with skulls, snakes, dressed in ashes. He's making a mockery of the uh, Calvin Klein and, and <laughs> the whole fashion industry. <laughs> He's saying, this, you have all that, but you have nothing. I have more just wearing ashes, skulls and things. <laughs> so that's, on that side, uh, then he is, um, he's a tapasvi, yogi, and he appears to have something to attain also, as opposed to Vishnu. So that side of him we differentiate and we posit, oh, Vishnu is superior. But we don't want to 
in speaking about Shiva, forget the fact that he also has a higher side, a Sadashiva. And inside, the third side is, he, one, he's devotee, bhakta, other he's tapasvi, jnani, other side he's also uh, connected to the karma marg, a bogi, <laughs> an enjoyer, because he's the wife, a husband of Parvati, who is the personification of the world of, of material enjoyment. So because he's connected with her, he has some connection on that side, very complex person. So Mahaprabhu, with the spirit of the Bhagavatam, spirit of Shiva's being a Vaishnava, he entered all the Shiva temples. Vaishnavananitashambhu, he entered. And here, in Srimad Bhagavatam, we have instance of all the Brajabhasis also worshipping Mahadev. After Rasayatra, Raslila, the principal festival in the year before Dolyatra, Dolyatra and uh, or Holi, which comes in the springtime, which corresponds with our Gaur Purnima for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, is the Shivaratri. It's in the appropriately the dark moon night of uh, the Falgun. So, big festival in India up till midnight. And the Bajbasis, it said here what? Uh, Ekada Devayatranam. Ekada. Ekada means once upon a time. So it's significant because it means that this was not an annual occasion that they took up Deva Yatra. They went on a journey, a Yatra, to worship the Deva. Which Deva we don't know from the first line, but from Ekada Deva Yatranam we can know something. Ekada means once, not always. One time they went. So we get some hint. Ekada Deva Yatranam. Gopala Jatakotuka. And it means, Gopala means all cowherd people. They, uh, Jatakotuka, Jatakotuka means like festival. So in a very festive mood, Anubir Anadudyuktai, their wagons, their covered wagons, and oxens, they're all decorated with festoons and <coughs> flags and uh, filled up with worshipable paraphernalia, valuable things from their agrarian-based culture, vegetables and grains and, and fruits and gold and milk, so much milk, milk products. And they were taking all these things this one day to worship the God, Pradayusta Ambikavanam, in Ambikavan. So then it's revealed fully. Ambikavan, Ambika means good mother, a good mother. So that is my wife of Shiva, one of her names, Uma, Ambika. So they went to Ambikavan, wherever Ambika is, then Shiva's there. So these charges, our charges have determined, oh, this is Shivratri. This is an instance in which the Brajbasis are observing the Shivratri. So following in their footsteps, we are observing the Shivratri tonight, very appropriately. We should follow in the footsteps of the Brajbasis. This chapter focuses somewhat on the, on the affection of Nanda Maharaj for Krishna. The, uh, but Salya Bhaktas may draw something from this, something special. And in a general sense, Nanda Maharaj plays a principal role here, and the nature of his affection is somewhat brought out in this chapter. Headed by him, 
the king of the cowherds, they boarded all their wagons and went to a, a somewhat distant place along the banks of the Saraswati. Tatra Snatva Saraswati. So it is uh, along the banks of the Saraswati they arrived and Snatva they took bath. So appropriately they show us how to conduct ourselves in the holy places. They took bath, they shaved their heads, and they observed fasting. Devam Pashupatim Vibhum Anachur Arhanayar Bhaktiya Devim Charnupate Ambikam. And there they engage in the worship of Pashupati and Ambika. Goddess Ambika. Pashupati, Pashupati is the name for Shiva. Pashupati. So we can make some identification with him based on this name. It means, Pashu means animal. Pati, <laughs> Lord of the animals. Or sometimes it means animal like people. Lord of the animals like people. <laughs> Is uh, very very. It means it means it's not a uh, derogatory term. You think, oh, that's all they give the Shiva. No, it means he's very very kind to them, very compassionate. And in spite, even sometimes of their opposition to his worshipable Lord, he still gives them some kind of shelter. Very generous, said to be easy to please. Ashutosh. Gabo Hiranyam, Vasangsi Madhu. Anam Adrita Brahmani Dadhu Sarved Devo Na Priyatam Iti. Coward men, they gave gifts of cows and gold and grains mixed with honey to the Brahmins, to appropriate people, and they made a prayer. Who made Sadashiva be pleased with us? Ushu Saraswati Tire Jalam Prasha Jatabrata. Rajanim tam mahabhaga nanda sunanda kadayaha. So Nanda Maharaj is mentioned here. Sunanda, Sunanda is one of the younger brothers of Nanda Maharaj. These two are mentioned. Nanda sunanda kadaya. It means Nanda and Sunanda. And conspicuous by their absence are Upananda, Nanda, and the other brother of Nanda Maharaj. It means some people had to be left behind to take care of the, protect the village and whatnot. So Nanda Maharaj and one of his younger brothers, leading the cowherd community, they came to the bank of the Saraswati. They stayed up all night, this verse explains, and fasted, drinking only water, to worship Lord Shiva. This is the uh, introduction to this chapter, after which some extraordinary events take place. Actually, on the night after the Shivratri, Shivratri went undisturbed. So here we have some instance of the Brajabhasis worshipping Mahadev, Lord Shiva. So we should understand that he has an important place in the lives of the Vaishnavas. I'll tell you a short story that help us appreciate this in a, in a practical way. Siddhar Maharaj was ill and for some time, this was many years ago, and his disciple, Govinda Maharaj, was perplexed about that, and it was troubling him considerably. He went to the bank of the Ganga, and he did a puja of Lord Shiva for his guru, that Shiva would bless his guru, that he would remain and continue his, in his uh, service to Mahaprabhu. 
in his sadhakadeha. And when he did the puja, he heard a noise, a sound, and he didn't know what that was. He never heard that uh, sound before, and he didn't know where it came from. And so it, it stuck in his mind. That was like the, the only result of his puja. And then when he came back to the moth, there was one Ayurvedic doctor there. And so he spoke with the doctor, and the doctor said, I think he needs this, and he made this sound, <laughs> naming the medicine. And that was the same sound that he had heard <laughs> on the banks of the uh, of the Ganga. So that became the medicine that Chidamarsh took for many, many years. Uh, homeopathic, I think it was, medicine. I think he, I think actually, uh, to be more accurate, he came and he made the sound, and then somebody said, that's a, that's a medicine. And they called the doctor, and he said, yeah, then this, is, uh, this is what he needs. So, so Mahadev Lord Shiva is a willing participant in Sankirtan of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so we should have very high regard for him and try to understand the tattva of Shiva. That will be very helpful for us, that's important to us as Vaishnavas, for our conceptual orientation. After all, if we have the wrong conceptual orientation in this regard, in the name of preaching, we may make a great great aparad. I gave one example of that, and what was the result? So Shiva, Shiva Tattva, he's Vishnu, and he's not Vishnu. He's Vishnu, he's a devotee of Vishnu. He keeps with the ghosts and hobgoblins, these type of people, Bhutanath, and he resides at the gate of, of the uh, Rasa Stali for Rasa Lila as Gopishwar. You cannot get inside that. It is said that Gopishwar Shiva appeared from the right side of the Lord in the beginning of beginning of everything. That means Adirasa, Janmadhyasya Yataha, Anvayaditarata, Janmadhi means, in one sense, it means the origin of all, the feeling, the highest feeling, the source of all feeling. Life is about feeling. And the source of all feeling, this is the Adirasa. Adirasa means Sringarasa. Janmadhyasyatahan vayad itarataha chaarteshu viginaswarat. This is a verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, the opening stanza of Srimad Bhagavatam. It says, oh, this book, this is what the book is about. This book is about the Adirasa of Janmadhyasya Anvayad Itarata. About Anvayad Itarata means directly and indirectly. It means about Krishna and Radha. Radha is Krishna indirectly. Krishna is Krishna directly. Krishna is God directly and Radha is indirectly God. These two. It is about these two. Oh, and Arteshu, about their pastimes. It appeared in the mind of Vyas, the Adikavi. This is a little different explanation of this verse than the more common one. It appeared, Adikavi in this, mean, this context means Vyas, the original poet who authored the Bhagavatam. There, Leela appeared in his mind, Samadina Nusmara, Samadhi, he was in his samadhi, he was absorbed in Krishna Lila. And from that came the beautiful book of Srimad Bhagavatam. Tene Brahmanade Adikavi. Oh, it is so wonderful. Muyanti Yatsuraya. That even Anantasesh cannot glorify it sufficiently, say enough about it. 
tene brahma hidayadi kabi muyantiyat surayo tejo varimadam yatavi mayo tattisargo mrsha in this book we see things wonderful things happen when in that original source of all feeling krishna plays his flute which is only for the purpose of attracting radha in his whole deal he's practicing and practicing until he gets to the point where he can play it and capture her attention that is the culmination of Srimad Bhagavatam. That is the climax. Everything else is anticlimactic and an afterthought reflecting back on that. The whole Brajlila is building up to that point where he can play that flute in such a way that she will come. Because before that he played every other gopi came. Jiva Goswami is described in Gopal Champu, but she didn't come. He said, go home. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't calling you. <laughs> I was just playing my flute, just practicing. But he was devastated that she hadn't come. That's another story. <laughs> mm. So when he plays the flute, Bhagavatam says, Tejo varimadam yata. Land turns into water. Water turns into land. All these things happen. It can melt a stone. All possibility. This is Vrindavan. All things possible. Just tweak it a little bit. All things possible. Just change your angle of vision and you enter into the, into the world where the word impossible isn't in the uh, dictionary. This is why it's described in poetry. That's why Bhagavatam is a poetic book. Because in poetry, you know, you can do things that you can't do in prose. The moon can have wings and fly across the sky. The moon can be a fish jumping out of the ocean and so forth. This is the vision of Mahaprabhu's devotees. They saw the world like this. Poetry in motion. They sang about it, reality. They, they wrote poems about it. They wrote philosophy too, but it, as we discussed the other night to some extent, huh, how far can you get with all that philosophy to describe this thing? You have to feel it, to know it. You have to feel it. So you have to enter the, into, into the language of feeling. That is poetry, music. That is Srimad Bhagavatam. This is the speciality of Srimad Bhagavatam, of all, these, of all these Puranas, all these Upanishads, Itihasas. It is a book of poetry. It's almost out of place. But it, oh, some things are attached to it to give it a Puranic feel, setting, and give it some authenticity in the eyes of those who don't know what to look for. This is the problem, that we are looking for fulfillment, but we don't know what to look for. We don't know how close it is to us. It's like that man who forgot he put his hat on. He's looking, where's my hat? Where's my hat? And then you, oh, it's on your head. Uh, bhakti is just a very common sense thing. But as I said before, common sense is very uncommon. Very uncommon. Sridharmarsh gave the example of Alexander the Great. I told the story before. It was told whoever could untie the Gordian knot, undo that knot, would be, would be the conqueror of India. So, so many great, powerful kings came and tried to untie that knot and they were unsuccessful. Alexander, just as a young man, came and said, oh, I can untie that knot. He took his sword and cut it. <laughs> Everybody said, oh, I could have done that. But then why didn't you do that? You didn't think of that. So it's kind of a common sense, but it's uncommon. It's a rare commodity. Bhakti is like that. You slow down enough, look closely, Krishna consciousness is something really about that. It's about looking more closely at life for what it really is. We're too busy waiting for something to happen 
instead of understanding that it's happening, then it's wonderful. And to see it from the right angle of vision. That's why Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a worldly religion. <laughs> it's all about entering the world. You have to stand back from it enough, that is what we call renunciation, to have an objective view of what it is. And then when you see it for what it really is, what does Vishwanathakutitaku say? Vishvam Purnam Sukhayate. The whole world is an abode of joy. It's like in our younger days. I didn't do it, but some of my contemporaries did. On traveling Sankirtan, they would walk into the grocery store and they would say, Sri Vishnu, Sri Vishnu, Sri Vishnu. <laughs> the whole store is offered. And then they would grab it. <laughs> like that. Then it was a festival to be in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about that it's about drawing back from the world enough to see it for what it is what it's not like uh, Das this morning he was talking with me Govinda's son and uh, he was talking about renunciation he said he was kind of like tried renunciation but, uh, but he didn't know if that was the right thing to be apathetic towards people in, in the world, and uh, he was trying to somehow work out apathy and compassion, how they go together. So I explained to him that renunciation is not about being apathetic towards the world, it's about being compassionate towards the world, because renunciation is about withdrawing from exploitation that is a product of misconceiving what it is that we're interfacing with. What is a body? What is a mind? What are people... What is the world? What is matter? Without a proper understanding of all these things, conceptual orientation as to the nature of being, then we are involved in some exploitation. So the knowledge, a byproduct of which is renunciation, is that realization of that, uh, applying that conceptual orientation, and it causes us to move back from the world, but not away from people, but away from our tendency to interact with people in such a way that's exploitative. It's not loving. So we are not interested in Gaudiya Vaishnavism just in the abstract form, if you will, of love. Moving away, that is to say, from what is not love and hovering away from the world. But looking back at that and entering into it, not only for preaching, but just, which is, of course, one profound expression of that, but um, just living and understanding it in relation to Krishna then it becomes, as Vishnu said, an abode of joy. We don't have to go anywhere. So, Tejo Varimidam Yatavinimayo Yatta Trisargum Risha Damna Srena Sada Nirasta Kuhakam Satyam Param Dimahi. This is Srimad Bhagavatam. It's all about these things. And in that book, we can find out about the proper way to think of Lord Shiva, proper conceptual orientation to the Shiva Tattva that we'll call our progress. We find stories of Shiva worshipping Krishna, of Krishna worshipping Shiva. We talked a little bit about the tattva of Shiva, although then, then there's the bhav, that tattva, he's, uh, as I say, Vishnu as a devotee of himself, and as Rudra, he's the tapasvi, and he lords over the unruly, and the tamaguna, and so on and so forth. And in terms of Aishwarya bhav, we find examples of Shiva worshipping Krishna. 
worshipping Vishnu and worshipping Krishna. In Bhagavatam we find examples of that. I believe when Banasur was had most of his arms <laughs> cut off by Krishna, he was a son of Shiva, oh, Parvati was, came out a little upset. That's our son. <laughs> Spare him. <laughs> and um, perhaps at that time Shiva made some petition to Krishna. Please spare him. So this is an instance in which the lordliness, the godhood of Krishna in relation to Shiva is revealed and Shiva's position as a worshipper of Vishnu. But there are other examples of Krishna worshipping Shiva. I told a story this morning of Gantakarna, bell ears, that Shaivite who had bells on his ears because he didn't like to hear the name of Vishnu and if anyone said it, he'd move his head like this and the bells would ring. <laughs> And in that story, Shiva came to him and said, you, you called me for liberation, but I have to inform you that only Vishnu ding, ding, <laughs> can give you that. You have to approach him. He said, oh God, what do I do now? I'm here to tell you. Uh, Vishnu said that in the form of Krishna, I'm present on earth and I just, you can meet Krishna in Badrik Ashram. He's there because he's gone there to worship me, worship, worship Shiva. She was telling him, you've gone there to worship me in order to get a good son. We find that Krishna went to Badrik Ashram in the Himalayas to a holy place to conduct the worship of Lord Shiva so that he could get a good son. And also in Ram, Ram Lila is famous. Some people think Ram is a worshiper of Shiva. So obviously Shiva is superior to Ram, Rameshwar. But the Gaudi Vaishnavas think Rameshwar, that means that Ram is the <coughs> Ishwar of Shiva. Not that Shiva is the Ishwar of Ram, but Ram in Ramayana, I believe, is an instance, a famous instance of his worshipping Ram. But these are all instances of, of uh, Madhurya Bhav, or Madhurya means in this sense, oh, the sweet and uh, human-like, a Prakriti Leela of Krishna. Very high, but very difficult to understand because it looks very ordinary. And there he is, and all these Vaishnavas are. He's with them on this occasion, going to worship. This is an instance of that, going to worship Lord Shiva. If we don't conclude from that, oh, Shiva is ontologically superior. So in this way, we discussed for some time now a little something about Shiva Tattva on the occasion of Shivarati. Any question? Yes. Maharaj, I heard some story about Lord Shiva wanting to take part in the Rastaban mm -hmm. and ending up as the gatekeeper and someone who guards the gate to make sure that no one unauthorized. And then I was wondering if you could tell your version of that. Well, I told a little bit about that. I was telling that. I said that Shiva appeared, I believe, from the right side of Krishna at the beginning. That's when I began describing beginning, Adirasa. The beginning of everything, the beginning of life, is the relationship of Radha and Krishna. Krishna is becoming is one, he becomes two, eternally. This is the beginning of all feeling, you see. The one becomes many. <laughs> this is another way of understanding that. He became many. Why? To taste himself. Sugar is sweet, but it cannot taste itself, right? So that Ladini Shakti is, is within Krishna. But he manifests he manifest that outside as Radha in order to taste himself. And Radha is the 
quintessence of, of bhakti, an example of bhakti, and the potential of the jeev to fulfill its inclination, its natural inclination to love. It's constitutionally a unit of consciousness, but it has a nature, a tendency. And its tendency, its tendency is to love. And it will love and ex express that tendency in relation to the object that it's focused on. So all different manifestations of feeling and emotion are examples of our expressions of our nature appearing in relation to the object that we're attached to. This is the idea of Bhakti Thakur. So, one becomes two, in a sense, this is the beginning of everything. The possibility of feeling. Without feeling, what is the meaning of being? Not much. Reality is ultimately joy. And for it to be joy, it has to exist, it has to be cognizant. So, this eternal event, uh, the two becoming one, Radha Krishna Pranay, Vikriti Ladini Shakti Rasmad, Ekatmana Api Bhui Puradeham Vedogatoto. And of course, the two again become one. What does that mean? If Krishna is one, he becomes two as Radha Krishna. What's an instance of the two becoming one again? That's right. Therefore, we know about all these things. We can know that life is about feeling and with, to what extent. So, at that time, at that beginning, it is said, oh, Shiva also appeared, I think, from the right side of Krishna. And that is the beginning of this eternal beginning, if you will, of the romantic life of Krishna, the consummation of which, in the drama of his Leela, is the Rasa dance. That's when the relationship is consummated where it's out in the open as much as it can be. Radha loves Krishna. Krishna loves Radha. They wrote it on the trees. So at, at that time, that's such a very special thing, such an extraordinary thing, the source of all feeling, all possibility for feeling, for love, the highest expression of feeling and love, well-reasoned love, and so intense that it retires even that reasoning. Therefore, it's difficult to, to even to understand it for what it is. So in order to protect that affair from being misunderstood in a general sense, Shiva was placed at the gate. And he had took a form as a gopi, gopi gatekeeper. So it means in one sense this, that in order to go there and feel as much as you can feel, love as much as, as it's possible to love, then what Shiva is generally about, renunciation, mystic insight, wisdom, as to the nature of being, and what is matter, and what is not, as the futility and of, of the fashion world, and all these things like we discussed, you see, we have to pass through all of that, that's the idea. Do you understand? Therefore, he's at the gate. He's not letting just anybody in. You have to pass through him. Therefore, like these Braj Basis, why they're worshipping Shiva on Shivratri? In one sense, by their example in the Leela, you see these Leelas are very wonderful. They're full of feeling and they're full of knowledge too. We can't draw so much feeling from it in our beginning stages, but we can get a little feeling for it. But if we get knowledge from it as to how to apply ourselves in our life and our devotional practice, then we can get a feeling. A kind of feeling so wonderful 
that it makes that knowledge even feel small, retires it, suppresses it. And then you can just love Krishna without even knowing that he's God or, or thinking about it or caring about it or for that matter, denying it. He's not God. That will get in the way if you want to convince me of that. So they never accept that Krishna is God, even if he does something wonderful. They then go, well, after all, Narayan is working through him. Gargamuni said that would happen. So. <laughs> so this is something we can draw from this, some knowledge we can draw from this. Some, and what I mean by that, some tattva, some philosophical insight that will be useful for us. We can understand it literally, and then we can just remain a Kanishtadikari. Or we can understand it in terms of the tattva that's being presented, and we can apply that, that is important for the sadhakas. And if we do that, then we can enter into the, into the literature and, and interpret it according to our own pure heart, and we can get meanings out of it that don't make sense to anybody else. Some people in our group, they'll agree, yes, that's what it means. That's what Gaudi Vaishnavism is. <laughs> Goswamis, they felt this is what it means. And that doesn't, everybody doesn't agree with that. And they never will. But we do. <laughs> and we'll never think otherwise. So strong is their feeling. And we have a feeling that if people get in touch with that feeling of those Goswamis, they also feel like this. They also be charmed. What a wonderful way to understand the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam and all the Vedic literature. What insight they had. They quote verses, and if you look up the verse, you see the context, you go, that's not what it means. <laughs> look at the context. That's an instance of how they, they're feeling. They interpreted it, but they are in a position to make such interpretation. They have sahidayam, they have a sympathetic heart. This is the foundation of rasa. To taste rasa, you have to have, you have to be a sahidaya, means a, have a sympathetic heart. You have to have sympathy with the subject. You know, if you have a sympathetic heart for classical music, then you can sit down and listen to that. If you don't, oh, you think, what is it, classical? <laughs> There's no beat. Not, you know. <laughs> they had a sympathetic heart for the subject matter. So they interpreted it in such a way that's what we call Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Everyone may not agree with the reasoning of it, but no one can disagree that it's more charming religious conception than anything else you can find. This is objectively irrefutable. So, from this, we draw this bit of tattva. Therefore, in many Gaudiya Vaishnava temples, like Shibhakti Sarasasti Thakur's mission, in all of the temples, we have Radha Govinda, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and just outside, separately, we have Shivalingam. And there's a worship of Shivalinga. That is the remembrance of this pastime. They're worshipping Shiva, who enter into Krishna Lila. He's the Chetrapal. Chetra means uh, Dham. Dham Pal, Chetrapal. Pal means like Gopal. Protector of cows, he's protector of the Dham. Chetrapal. So, he's not letting just anybody in, in there, or to speak of inside that Rasa Lila. To enter into the world of feeling, the closer you get and the more you become identified with matter, the less potential you have to be and feel. If being is about feeling, the less potential you have. The more we become identified with matter, the more we become unfeeling. It's a fact. The more you identify with matter, oh, the things you will do, how cruel you can be. It's very unbecoming. Do you understand? So, it's not feeling. If someone acts in a cruel way, we say, has no feeling. 
Doesn't he have any feeling? We don't say he's a bad feeler. He has no feeling. <laughs> so this is the idea. Identification with matter it reduces, diminishes proportionately our potential to feel. And to be, really, means to feel. Do you follow? So to move away from matter, that means to step back, to look at the whole thing objectively for what it really is. So we don't interact in such a way that's exploitative, which is lacking in feeling and caring. So Shiva, in one sense, he represents that, renunciation. So you have to pass through that. That's kind of in between not feeling and feeling. So he's, he's at the gate there. Does that help? <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> I never said those things before. <laughs> yes? <laughs> I was wondering, okay, so I'm not understanding, why were the Rajwasis worshipping Lord Shiva? I mean, they were worshipping, but the gopis were worshipping the uh, goddess Patnagani, but that was to get Krishna as a husband, so it was related to service or serving Krishna, pleasing Krishna. So well, how, why were they doing this? How, how were they to please Krishna by worshipping Shiva? Well, they're worshipping Shiva with a view to get his blessings so that they can carry on happily with their life. Like ordinary people, they worship God so that they can have their family and their son will be well protected and those are all the, the kind of motives in relation to Krishna. You follow? So they're worshipping Lord Shiva. This is a suspicious occasion. On his day, Shiva Ratri, let's worship him. And their whole motive in everything they do is that they can continue their lives happily which are entirely centered around Krishna. This is the idea. You see, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, then we think that all the names of all the gods are all names of Krishna. So we can be fully engaged in worshipping different gods and goddesses and so forth with the right motive and understanding and be in Krishna consciousness. Now, in the beginning we are taught only to chant the name of Krishna, none of the names, but in the end it will come out very, in the beginning we're, differently. In the beginning we taught Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead and in the end we, we forget about that. That's the goal is to forget about that. So. A very funny, funny religion. <laughs> Once upon a time, they worshipped Lord Shiva. Yes? Question? This has to do with um, Lord Krishna wanting to taste the moon of Radharani and taste that sweetness. And I was actually just wondering, that is Krishna's nullium, in a sense, um, to taste that. So would Lord Chaitanya be considered the personification of nullium? Well... You could not find uh, greater lolium meets eagerness or greed, greater uh, greed or eagerness for for that than any person than Lord Chaitanya. So in that sense, you could you could say that if greed for Krishna, for loving Krishna, was to be embodied, I suppose you'd say it would be embodied in Radha. But if there's a form of Krishna in which it's found, then you see the Braj Leela didn't facilitate Krishna's eagerness for that. That's its limitation. We tend to think of the Gaur Leela as a means to enter into Krishna Leela, but actually, in another sense, the Gaur Leela is, is broader and, and more accommodating than Krishna Leela, even for Krishna himself, because Krishna's ambition to be the greatest lover could not be fulfilled in the Braj Leela. So, Gaur Leela, 
manifest to facilitate that. Anything else? Yes. You know, Prabhupada always said that the chanting of the Maha Mantra was like the most important or biggest way, thing that you could do to really speed your way along. And I um, imagine you feel likewise, but uh, if you could comment on what else you might uh, recommend. Yes, um, I will comment on that very briefly. At, um, there's two things mentioned by Bhaktivinoda Thakur that constitute the essence of Dharma. Jive doi Krishna Naram Sarva Dharma Sar Sarva Dharma Sar The essence of Dharma is Jive doi Krishna Naram Chanting Krishna Naram and Jive doi Showing kindness to other living beings. So you try to show kindness to other living beings. Does you have any opportunity to do that in your life, you think? Oh, there's so many opportunities. And how often do you not take advantage of those opportunities to show kindness to others? If you take advantage, every day you're confronted with the opportunity to be kind to other people in every, any, any possible way. Not only by banging them over the head with a book at the airport and picking their pocket. Not only that. That's not the only way to be good to people. <laughs> hmm? In any way. In any way that you can be good. If opportunity arises for you to be relatively kind to them, then show relative kindness. After all, relative kindness is, is the shadow of absolute kindness. Human compassion is a shadow of the full face of compassion. So it's meaningless to, in the name of absolute compassion, to have no compassion on a on the material level, on the human level. I told the story before, some of you may have heard it. One of my godbrothers was standing on the balcony at the, at the, of the Calcutta Temple, Iskon Temple, years ago with Prabhupada. And down below, there was uh, were a couple of uh, beggars who were uh, deformed. Maybe one had a hand cut off. It's quite common, you can find it in India. And even sometimes families have so many kids that they cut off one's hand so that they can, he can be a beggar and make money. This is an unfortunate condition of people in India. We don't know how well off we are materially. We're always complaining about it. And we never have quite enough. It's not quite right. We would do well sometimes to reflect on the plight of others in the world just from a human point of view. You see, to be a devotee, you have to be human. Didn't Prabhupada say that? How many times do you think he said that? Human life is for, for a devotee. So it means... Now you have to think, what does it mean to be human? How many times have you said that, and how many times have you thought, well, what does it mean to be human if that you have to be human to be a devotee? We think, well, it means to be interested in spiritual life. Yeah, that, that's true. But how interested are we, and what, other, what, other, what else is this part of being, being a human? It means being reasonable, they say. Human is a rational animal, so we should be rational. We should have common sense, how to deal with one another with other living beings. So anyway, one of my godbrothers, he saw that beggar down below, and he said, he turned to Prabhupada and said, you know, Prabhupada, sometimes I actually feel sorry for these people, compassionate, as if it was Maya, perhaps, he was thinking. I know, you know, it's just their karma, and I shouldn't be thinking like that. Because <laughs> they obviously did something to deserve it, and they're getting, you know, the, the, 
the hand of God now is, is the time is the grim reaper, you know, they're, they're reaping the fruits of the seeds that they've sown. But sometimes I actually feel sorry for them. And Prabhupada turned to him and said, why only sometimes? So all the time, practically, we have opportunity to be kind to others, or we have opportunity to treat them like an object and exploit them and, and get the best of them in the deal and uh, sell them something that they don't really need or they don't really want or convince them about something that we may extract something from them. See, that's not good. We should be ethical. Yama niyama is the basis of the yogic experience. And bhakti is a type of yoga also. So there's an ethical foundation on which it's based. Therefore, jivadai, this is the basic in a word. This is what it's about. Show kindness to other living beings and chant Krishna Nam. This is what Bhakti Nautaku is the essence. You try it. You find, oh, it's very good. You might not make as much money, but you, you find this, you get something much more valuable. Another thing, I will add one other thing, to serve the Vaishnavas, to Vaishnav Seva. This is critical, critical to us. Because we... flesh that out a little bit? Like, I hear that, I mean, I've heard that term probably a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Vaishnav Seva. Well, to flush that out a bit, first of all, you have to find a Vaishnav. So how you will know who is a Vaishnav? Well, you can read the books and you can study and get some idea and then you, if you have some, some faith in this, then you have to go by your feeling. You have to go with what you feel. Someone can beat you over the head and say, he's a Vaishnav, you should be serving him. But if you don't feel that, then they should recognize that and stop wasting their time. And act in a way that will, will change your heart rather than just trying to change you in the head, convince you in the head. It's not a matter of that. So, I tell you this, they exist. Be sure of it. <laughs> Such a thing exists. So now it's up to you to find. You find someone who you feel and uh, convince is a Vaishnav. And then how to serve them? You ask them how to serve. How can I be of some service? You can ask that Vaishnav. Then he may or she may give you some advice. But if we are to, if we ourselves to be a Vaishnav, to be involved in Vaishnavism, it means we must be under the care of a real Vaishnav, advanced devotee of Krishna. Our only concern should be that what we're doing is of some consequence to a person of consequence. That means a Vaishnav. That what we're doing, that somebody worth knowing, worth being in touch with, cares about that. And what you'll find, if you come under the guidance of a real Vaishnav, is that they have the way and means to kind of like tie everything, somehow connect you. Someone comes and says, oh, Gurudev, I was thinking if I went to Alaska, it would be really good. I have some things to do there. And and so then you think, oh, maybe I know somebody in Alaska. Do I know anybody in Alaska? You can deliver a letter to them or something. Give some higher meaning to it than just the following the wanderings of your mind or the demands of your heart. Such people, they can find a way to color our life, even its ordinary movements, full as they are and motivated by, uh, full of and motivated by desires, to give them a spiritual color that in the course of fulfilling them will fulfill us in a way that merely fulfilling those desires on their own could never do. 
So, they exist, you try to find one, and then how to serve them, that's easy. You just ask, how can I be of some service? Can I render some service? You might say no. Then you might think, he's really a Vaishnava, you don't know, right? So, then you've got to figure out a way, you see. That's what happened to Lochandas. Lochandas or Narutam. Narutam Thakur. He wanted to serve a Vaishnava. He concluded that uh, Lochandas, uh, Lokanath Goswami was a Vaishnava, so he, he went to serve him. Lokanath Goswami refused, I'm not a Vaishnava, you cannot serve me. Get out, get out, get out. <laughs> he chased him away. So then he used to go and hide, and when Lokanath would go into the, into the woods and pass stool, and when he would leave, Narutam would go and clean the area. And then when he, when he was in the field, he would go in the, house, in the hut and clean the hut. So he's going one side and it's cleaned up, and he's going the other side... After a while, he figured out, somebody's serving me. Somebody's serving me. Where is that culprit? <laughs> Finally, he found him, and then he accepted him as his disciple. He was a lone disciple of Loganath Goswami. He, in turn, made thousands of disciples. So it's not a hard thing to, to figure out. I, I, you may think, oh, there are so many impersonators of Vaishnavas and so forth. And that means that there must be real ones. Somebody's trying to imitate a good thing. He's trying to... <laughs> there must be real ones. So you have to search and find. And how you search, you see. You have to search with your heart. You have to want that. You have to have some sense of the value of that. By good company, you'll get some sense of the value of that. And then you'll have all the necessary requirements to be successful in your, in your search. You have to have a bit of a necessity. Impossible we don't have that, but by good company, that will, it will come, come gradually. Anything else? Well, I'm happy to speak with all of you. You've been a very, very good uh, audience. And uh, I couldn't have said half of the things I said without your enthusiasm to hear. So that's 50% of the equation. So I offer my pranam to all of you. Thank you, Thank you. For doing your part. Thank you.